Okay, let's go to Exodus chapter 4. Now, as we read in the earlier chapters, Moses had this desire to deliver the children of Israel, and he believed that he was going to be the one, so to speak, or I don't know if he really believed that, but he goes out and we know the story with the Egyptian. So he had that in his heart that he actually wanted to see the people delivered, but as you read on in chapter 4, uh, he didn't want to be the one to do it. And you know, a lot of times we're like that, we want something to happen, but when the Lord calls us on us to do it, then we're not so thrilled about wanting it to happen or seeing it happen, especially if we're going to be the ones that have to be in the forefront. So he's reluctant, and he's very conscious of his weaknesses. Uh, and he's aware of the enormous power that he's going to have to contend with being Egypt. Remember, he grew up there, and he knew the power of Pharaoh. He knew the might of the pharaohs and their armies and, and all that. So when the Lord now, remember, the Lord said, I'm going to come down and I'm going to deliver the people out of Egypt. And then a few verses later, he says, Moses, you go. And although Moses, as I said, had a heart to see them delivered, that does not equate to desire, desire for himself to do it, to be involved. So let's, let's just read some verses, then I'll come back. I want to come back to verse 3. Verse 1, Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, The Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, What is that that is in your hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it and became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, Now put your hand in your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom. And he took it out. Behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And he said, Put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it, drew it out of his bosom. And behold, it was restored like the other flesh. Then it will be, if they, they will not believe you, nor heed to the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And it shall be, if they do not believe even these two signs. Now the Lord knows ahead of time that they're not going to believe these signs. And so, you know, the Lord, as I said, he could come in and he could have smitten them right away with the 10th plague. And they would have let them go, you know, the firstborn being killed. But remember, God's ways are not our ways. And God has purpose in, in certain things the way he does it. And even in his dragging things out, sometimes the Lord, you know, wants us to learn to wait. So he knows that 
even though he's going to cast down the rod, it's going to turn into a serpent. He knows that he's going to, to do this sign um, before Pharaoh and turning the water into blood, which we'll finish reading in a minute. The Lord knows that's not going to be enough, but yet I, I look at this as... The, you, you'll find this out if you haven't already found this out, that the Lord is patient with us, and he'll take his time... And he'll, he won't bring you into things. He won't bring you into certain responsibilities and you know, put certain things on you until you're ready. And at this point, even though Moses is a great man, uh, he's not ready for certain things. So the Lord's going to take him slowly into certain things to deal with Pharaoh a certain way. And... If you really think about it, you know, this is not the whole picture. You know, he's going to go into the children of Israel, I mean, into um, Pharaoh to bring out the children of Israel. But this goes on for a while. But later on, he's going to take them out into the wilderness. And what he has to deal with, you know, what he dealt with in the desert in Midian, what he's dealing with, at this particular time, uh, where the Lord shows him certain things, says to do certain things, he goes into Pharaoh. All these things are going to be, I don't want to say critical, but they're going to play a part in, in later what Moses is going to have to do, even with the children of Israel. So at this point, he's, he's thinking and he's concentrating on Pharaoh because that's what's there in front of him. You know, for the Lord has him doing. He's not thinking about whenever they get in the wilderness what's going to happen or, or what the Lord's going to have him do or how the children of Israel are going to be rebellious toward him. He's not thinking about that. See, that's going to come later on. And when it comes, the Lord is going to already have built into Moses what he needs to deal with these things. And I, I like the way the Lord works because in my example with myself, I, I see this because, you know, certain things the Lord put on me when I was younger, you know, only a, a few years as a Christian, he put some things on me. And I was just like overwhelmed at, the, at you know, what the Lord had me involved with. I mean, bringing me into leadership of two years. I mean, what's, that's ridiculous, but there was, only, there was no men in the church. And so I, I thought, this is just... I said, well, Lord, you know, whatever. And uh, so, you know, he put me into certain things and did certain things in my life, but he never pushed me into things before I was ready, if you know what I'm saying. And I think that's very comforting. The Lord's not going to put something on you that you're not able to take, you're not able to bear. Uh, sometimes we can do that on our our own self, put the thing, you know, put things on us, and you know, carry the weight of the world, like they say, on your shoulder. But if you walk with the Lord, and you just do the basic thing, whatever it is He has you doing, that maybe in five years or ten years, who, who knows? The Lord can, you know, really put something on you, and you'll be able to carry. It. You'll be able to, to. You might not think you'll be able to carry it, but you'll you'll be able to function under it. And you'll be able to function under it correctly. And it's very good 
And the Lord is very gracious to us. You know, even in, I don't know how, just, this is kind of like a different example, but like one individual said to me about, you know, coming to church here, he said he, he was here uh, for some years and then he left and, and I was talking to him and he said, you know what? And he says, if I would ever go back, he says, the Lord would have to condition me all over again for the long services. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you even have to deal with that. I mean, when I first came into church, I, I, I probably couldn't have dealt with a, a two and a half, three hour service and, and sat there and, and been, you know, okay with it. So the Lord is gracious, and he, he works in us to help us be able to uh, move in certain things uh, and to handle certain things. You know, if the Lord would have said in the first to me, well, you know, I'm preparing you to teach, I probably would have said, that's it, I'm done. <laughs> so the Lord doesn't tell us everything, you know. He keeps us in the dark with certain things. And... Um, you know, we just move along, and then the Lord does certain things, you know, with us, and then we say, wow, this is something else. So, you know, he's, he's moving along here in verse 9, and it shall be, if they do not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river and pour it on the dry land, and the water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. <clears throat> so he's, he's helping Moses along here by, by showing him what he has to do and how the Lord is going to, to use these things to deal with Pharaoh. So now all Moses really needs to do is to you know, listen to whatever the Lord is showing him and do whatever he's showing him, uh, and, and he'll be fine, which we know he, he was. In verse... Let's, um, let's go to Acts 7 again. Now, what you see Moses do here with the rod and with his hand and so on with the blood, these were notable miracles uh, done in Moses' sight by the Lord. But the focus is we're going to see here. Now, now we might... Just imagine this for a moment, that the Lord would would be here and, you know, he was upon someone and they would take a, a, a rod, a stick, whatever, and they would throw it down here on the floor and that would become a snake. That would be pretty impressive, wouldn't it? And then walk over and grab it by the tail and then it straightens out and it becomes a rod again. Pretty impressive. Or taking water and pouring it down, it becoming blood. Very impressive. So even though the Lord is showing Moses something miraculous, when he looks, all he really sees is his inabilities. That overshadows the miracles. It overshadows the work of God. It overshadows the hand of God. And you're going to see, as we mentioned last week, Moses, you know, he centers upon his inabilities. Now in Acts 7, verse 20, at this time Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God, and he was brought up in his father's house for three months. 
But when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. And this was the, the one thing, as we'll read in chapter 4, that he you know, chides, so to speak, with God about. He says, I am not eloquent. He says, I, I, don't, I can't speak. But in, in this instance here, this is related to when he was the first 40 years in Egypt. And then, as I said, 40 years he's in the Midian Desert, and that's where he sees the burning bush. And now he's entering into the last 40 years where he's going to be dealing with Pharaoh and the children of Israel, he's going to go into the wilderness. So this here is related to the first 40 years, and it says he was mighty in words. Now, either, either he was mighty in words or he was not. So when, when Moses says, I'm not eloquent, what is he really saying? Because it says here that he was mighty in words. See, he was mighty in words related to the world. You know, Egypt's a type of the world. Related to worldly wisdom, knowing and understanding and speaking about things in this world. He's mighty in that respect. But now when it comes to the things of God and speaking for God, he says, I'm not eloquent, I can't speak. And that's really something because this has happened with many a person where they could maybe speak or do this or do that you know, in the world. They were able to you know, function in certain things. And now when the Lord gets a hold of them, it's like, it's done. They can't move in that anymore. And they know that there's no strength there to do that. And even though he said he was eloquent in speech, or maybe a better way to say it was that, you know, when it came to worldly things, you know, that he was learned, he uh, taught in Egypt, he could speak about it. He could, you know, he had something to say. But now when it comes to all this, he knows nothing. And see, the Lord must become our, our Lord, our, our Father, our God. Uh, he must, at some point, be able to be expressed through us in some way. And Moses is going to go, and he's going to be the expression of the Father to, to Pharaoh. And to be the expression of the Father means that all his earthly wisdom and all his earthly words are not going to help him in that. He has to have a different learning, a different education, so that he can speak and talk a heavenly language. Now, to speak a heavenly language is totally different. Just because a person's a Christian doesn't mean that they can speak a heavenly language. And I'm not talking about speaking in tongues. I'm talking about speaking of uh, the wisdom of God, the, the language of the Spirit, speaking of things in the Spirit. You know, it, it's a different uh, type of speech containing spirit and life. Worldly speech does not contain spirit and life. See, that's something different. Uh, but you can. 
be taught a heavenly language. And you can express the Lord, however that may be. And I think that's why sometimes people don't like it, because they don't understand it. They, they just have no idea. Uh, you know, even what you're saying, they might even understand the words. But I remember when Charles Hahn first came to the church way back when, and the first time I, I heard him, I listened to him and I said, I understand the words he was using, but what did he say? <laughs> you know, we all have a, a basis, a frame of reference that's been built in us from here, you know, being in, in, the, in the Bible school and what have you. But he was speaking about things, and I had no clue what he was talking about. He was, to me, he was speaking in a different language. He was speaking in English, but it was like a different language. It was a heavenly language because he had learned some things. The Lord had had brought him through certain things. And even though he was just, he, he was, you've heard Charles on, some of you have. He was a monotone. He would just talk like this and, I mean, put you out like that, you know. Put you right to sleep. So I must be doing okay if I'm putting someone to sleep, you know. No, I just used an example. You happened to be there with your eyes closed, so I figured I'd just use that example. And, and uh, it, it was like you listened to him, and it's like, I, I said it many a times. I, was, I mean, I, I just, just I heard his words, but I didn't understand. But after a while, it took a while, and keep on, you know, plugging along. And then the Lord opens your understanding. And even more than that, uh, th some of these things become a reality in your life. And now you can speak, and when you speak, there's something more there than just plain words, if you know what I'm saying. Because it, it becomes spirit and life, just like Jesus said. And it, it's a wonderful thing. So, this account here that we're looking at in uh, Acts was before, you know, he was mighty in words. That was before. And so the Lord takes him a different way. Now, back in uh, Exodus 4, I give you permission to pinch him if you want. <laughs> if he needs it. Now, you probably worked all day. Huh? Did you work hard? That's good. Okay. Now, let me ask you this. Now, here's Moses. And he's going from where he is, you know, into to Pharaoh. You know, what are his credentials? You know, if you go to, to preach in certain churches, you know, they'll ask you, you know, what are your credentials? You know, if you go to a Southern Baptist church, unless you're Southern Baptist, you probably won't be able to speak there because you have to be in their denomination. So uh, many times uh, they're very interested in a person's credentials. Did you go to school? Uh, did you go to Bible college? Do you have a doctorate in theology? You know, all these different things. So 
Moses didn't go to seminary. Moses didn't go to Bible school. He had no religious training, so to speak. He, he was in Egypt. He grew up in Egypt. What was his training? What was his credentials? You know, you're going to come and speak in Egypt, not just to the common people. You're going to go and speak to Pharaoh in his court and in, in the leadership of one of the most powerful countries in the world at that time. So what are your credentials? Well, let's turn to 2 Kings. So you come to Bible school. You, know, you spend four, four and a half years, and you get a, a diploma, a certificate from the school. So, so what does that mean? Is that your credentials? Well, I mean, maybe with some churches, you know, they would want you to show them that. You know, they, they, years ago, they gave me a minister, minister, minister's card with my picture and everything on it. Remember that? Yeah. And, I mean, if you're going out to speak at, at churches, sometimes, they, you know, they, if they don't know you, they probably wouldn't even let you speak. But, you know, they may ask you for something like that. Um, I went and taught at a Bible school. I remember I went on the mission field, and the uh, <clears throat> one guy was not real, I, I don't know, I, he, I don't think he said what he said maliciously, but he, was, he said something related to me uh, being a teacher, and I've shared that before. He, he asked if I was a pastor back here, and I said, I said no, I'm a, I'm a teacher. He says, oh, you're a wannabe pastor, and he was the one that was interpreting for me. So I didn't say anything. I mean, I understand, because um, in Guatemala, in, in a lot of the other Central American, South American countries, Peru, they look at you and they elevate the pastor way up here. And, you know, because they're pastoring a church and what have you. If you're a teacher, you may as well just go out on the side of the, you know, go out the sidewalk somewhere. They, have, they don't have much respect for teacher, and I believe the reason for that is because they don't really know what, it, what a teacher is. So I, I didn't bother me any because I understand that I understand where they're coming from. It doesn't. I mean, that's not why I'm there uh, to be concerned with things like that. So I got up and I had a message for the actually for the pastor at the church. I didn't even know who he was. Never met him, but the Lord had given me a message for him and uh, related to him in his church. And I finished, and his interpreter. We, we talked to a few people and whatever, and he came up and he says. Now I understand. I said, you're a teacher. I didn't say anything to him. But, but, but he saw something. I don't know what he saw. But he saw something, and he was able to understand that that, that is different than a pastor. Now, a pastor can teach, but a teacher is different. It's a different uh, office. Uh, a teacher can pastor. A pastor can teach her, but they're different, um, they're different in, their, in their function. They're just different. And so, you know, someone will say, well, what, are you, what is your credential? Or, well, I, don't, I have a certificate from Cornerstone. What's Cornerstone? Where is that? Is that a college? Is there a, how many people you graduate a year? A hundred? <laughs> One or two? <laughs> Every four years? <laughs> So people look at these things, you know, and, and they look at that and, you know, if somebody would come here, for example, ministers, 
from other places, and they come here and you say, this is the Bible school. That's, they would just, they may not say anything, but uh, they might just, yeah, right. Uh, and I taught not too long ago up north, and um, they didn't know me. And, you know, I went there, I was kind of a little, not concerned, but I wanted to, to feed the people. Wanted to give them something. The Lord gave me some some uh, things from John, so I ministered, and I had a nice talk with the pastor afterward. So you know, it, it's not that you you want to um, impress anyone. I could care less. Uh, I'm, I'm serious. I don't care. I just want to do what the Lord has shown me to do. If He wants me to do this, I'll do this. It's fine. So getting back to the initial question, what are Moses' credentials? Now in 2 Kings chapter 2, now this is Elijah and Elisha. Remember Elijah was the great prophet of God, caused on fire from heaven. And Elisha says, well, Elijah, Elijah says, what, what do you want? He says, well, I want a double portion of the Spirit is upon you. He says, well, you've asked for a hard thing. And he's pressing. He wants, he wants it. And Elijah says, you know, well, if you see me, or get the picture, if your eyes can be fastened upon me when I am taken, and the Lord will, will answer your prayer. And remember, this fiery chariot comes. Now that would catch your attention, wouldn't it? A fiery chariot? What the heck is that coming on? That's what we're going to do. But obviously, Elisha keeps his eye on Elijah and the chariot, the whirlwind, and he's lifted away. And he sees, he watches him. And when he's lifted away, his cloak, his mantle falls. And Elisha walks over and picks up the mantle. Now he's been following him for a while, following him around as, as Elijah's ministering, being close to him, listening to him, uh, watching him. Seeing the Spirit of God upon him, that's why he wanted a double portion. So there he goes. Elijah goes, drops his mantle, and Elisha walks over. Verse 12, chapter 2. And Elisha saw it. <clears throat> well, let's go back to 11. Well, let's go back to 9. And so it was uh, when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask. What, might, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? Elisha said, please, let, me, please let, let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So he said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Then it happened, as they, were con as they, as they continued on and talked, Suddenly, this came on, right? He didn't know it was coming. Suddenly, a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up 
by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into pieces, the two pieces. He also took, took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him, and he struck the water and said, Where is the God of Elijah? And when he also had struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elijah, excuse me, Elisha crossed over. There is the credentials for Elisha. He didn't go to school, but he went to the school of the Spirit. And when the mantle dropped and he saw it, after he had kept his eyes upon Elijah, he picks that up. Now he has his credentials. He's graduated, so to speak. And he walks over to the, the Jordan and he hits the water. Where is the God of Elijah? And the waters are parted. And he goes forth. The rod, as we look back in Exodus 5, or Exodus 4. The rod becoming a serpent, verse 3. His hand becoming leprous, verse 6. The water becoming blood, verse 9. The manifestation of the supernatural will be his credentials. See, God can give you credentials. He can give you something in spirit that he can use, he can bring out, he can do things with. And men may say, well, you know, Elisha didn't go to school, but it doesn't matter. The Spirit of God will testify that he has the credentials of the Spirit, not the credentials of man. Now, I think school is good. Going to school and studying, it's good. If Paul the Apostle would not have studied and been under his teacher, Gamaliel, studying the Scriptures, I don't believe that Paul would have been, been used the way he was because he wouldn't have had the frame of reference there that was built in him through school. So school is not bad. It's not a negative thing. A lot of times, you know, people want to think it's a negative thing. You know, going to school, learning, studying, uh, even learning, learning certain things from a theological standpoint. Th those things are not bad. But those things alone do not qualify a person. That's the point. Those alone. I mean, being ignorant doesn't qualify you either. So, well, I'm not going to study, I'm not going to do any of that because Elijah didn't. And, and No, 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 no. Study to show thyself approved, Paul says. A workman that need, need not being ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. See, so that is to be in the Christian's life, a time of studying. You should study. But study alone is not the credentials for your life. You know, going to Bible school is good, but you want 
the credentials of the Spirit of God in your life. So that whenever you go out, you take something with you. The Spirit of God is with you. And you know everybody wants to be able to part the waters, but nobody wants to you know, act like a Christian should act. You, you understand what I'm saying? You have, to, you have to do certain things. If you want the Lord eventually to use you, you've got to straighten up. Maybe you've got to shut your mouth. Maybe there's a lot of things we have to do. And allow the Lord having his, have his way in our lives so that when the time comes, you know, the Lord can, can do something. So here's, this is going to be his credentials, so to speak. He's going to go in and perform these miracles, first of all, to the children of Israel. And we'll look at that in a little bit. And then to Pharaoh. Now, miracles are good. But remember something. The Lord is working in Moses. In the 40 years in the wilderness, the Lord was working in Moses. When he goes into Pharaoh, the Lord is going to be working in Moses. It's going to be very difficult for him to go back, go in and out like he, he does. You know, we think it's, it was easy because he just performed miracles. Remember, he was rejected by them uh, because he chose to follow the God of Israel. So he's rejected by those who once loved him. And so rejection is something very difficult to deal with. Some people just never can deal with it. Some people have a real difficult time. Most people, I think, have a difficult time with rejection, I think, most people. Uh, and the Lord can get us over that. Uh, but he's going to have to deal with things. And in the process of it, the Lord is going to work in his life inside. And the work in Moses is going to help him and to qualify him to go into the wilderness. Now, if Moses would have said, well, you know what? We went in there and we did six things already and he, you know, Pharaoh doesn't listen. I'm done with this. I'm done. Well, if that would have been the attitude, then he would have never qualified to go out into the wilderness and take the children of Israel out there and, and, you know, all that. But because he walks along, you know, one day at a time, so to speak, and allows the Lord to work in his life, all these things are going to prepare him and qualify him and give him the credentials to be the leader in the wilderness. Now, the setup in the wilderness, I'll just say this. The setup in the wilderness is not... Remember, Israel was a theocracy. You know what a theocracy is, I hope. You don't know what a theocracy is. Where God is the one who is over everyone, over the nation. So you don't have, they didn't have a nation, you know, until God, remember God said, um, I'll give you judges. He never wanted to give them kings and set up that whole thing. He wanted to just judge them, to be a theocracy, you know, where he is the, the, the rule over everything going on in the nation. See, our nation is not a theocracy. Even though it was founded on a Christian principle, it's not a theocracy. Never has, never, never will be. So this setup in, in the wilderness is different 
And it, it can't be duplicated, I don't believe. Even in a church, some churches want to duplicate that. You know, well, the pastor is Moses. You know, and, the, and there's, there's an area of truth there. But that's not, that whole setup was under a theocracy. And even though there is some truth in that, still, the whole, the setup is different than the church. You understand what I'm saying? The church is different? I don't mean this church. I'm talking about a, the church, church. So we're not, we're not under government, so to speak. We're not under one person on this earth. We're under Jesus Christ. Um, so let's go to verse 8. These signs that God gives him will have a voice. Do you know that? The signs will speak. Now, if you, you have to understand the way the Bible is. Some people, I really don't believe, understand the Bible. Even though they've, they've read the Bible all their life, they don't understand when you look at Proverbs, Proverbs personifies wisdom. Do you know what that means? It, it takes wisdom and puts it in a, like a person. It talks about wisdom like a person. It's personified. In various places in the Bible, you'll see this. And even though, you know, uh, it says, take her, it refers to her. And, you know, bind her to all these different things. It uses her, you know, meaning wisdom. But it's actually, it's personified. It's not actually meaning that she is a real woman, see. And, and so in this, when I say that the signs that he gives him here, these three signs, will speak. The Bible says that. But it doesn't mean that the signs, that the, that the rod is going to have lips and it's going to talk. See, that's how people get real crazy with things in the Bible sometimes. Um, and it's like, uh, we know this. If your hand offend, offends thee, cut it off. If your eye offends thee, pluck it out. It's better to go with a, into heaven without an eye and hand. You know, he's not literally meaning to cut your hand off. You understand? The parables were parables. And, and so, you know, we have to be able to allow the Holy Spirit to interpret certain things for us so that we have understanding. So in verse 8, read it. Then it will be, if they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. Who has the King James? Anybody have the King James? Read that, verse 8. They shall come to pass, if they will not believe thee, you need to hearken the voice of the first sign, they will believe the voice of the latter sign. Hearken to the voice of the sign. So the sign is actually speaking. It has a voice. It's actually speaking to them so that they would listen to the sign, although it's not speaking. You understand what I'm saying? I'm just trying to teach you something from the Bible. So, the spiritual ear can hear things that maybe others who do not have a spiritual ear cannot hear. 
for example, the Lord may, may do a particular thing in front of 10 people. And two or three may perceive and understand what is being said, even though there's no speech. You understand? Like a prophecy. What, what is the prophecy saying? And others will see the exact same thing, and they will never hear what is being said. And that is why people can go to church, people can grow up in the church. They can go to church for 10, 20, 30, 40 years and still not get certain things because they're not hearing. They're, they're not hearing what is being said. And I'm not talking about preaching, teaching, nothing like that. I'm talking about what the Spirit is doing. See, what is the Spirit of God doing in your life? Can you hear? So he, he'll, he'll have a direction for you, and over a course of time, you may be able to hear that. So now I, I, I hear this thing now. Okay, oh, and I see it too now. Okay, this is direction. I'll go in that direction. But some people never hear and see. Even though the voice of the sign is there, they don't hear it. And so, you know, certain things uh, transpire. And, and, you know, something goes on. Maybe, maybe in a church service. You know, whenever I was seeking for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I went to a prayer meeting. No one in that place, not one person knew I was seeking for the Holy Spirit. Not one. But three women simultaneously during the prayer meeting get up and come over and lay hands on me and specifically prayed to receive the Spirit of God. To me, I heard that sign. But there was an individual there that did not hear what the Spirit was saying. And right whenever I was ready to receive the Spirit, they blurted out these words and just totally disrupted the entire service. And the presence of the Lord just left. Boom, gone. And I was just like heartbroken. This individual and, and this person... No one here knows them. This is long ago. No one has ever met them. No one has even, even knows their name if I would say it. But this individual always had this, I don't want to say knack, for doing the wrong thing at the wrong time and disrupting what the Holy Spirit was doing. And I was a young Christian, and I understood certain things when they were happening. I could see. Even if I didn't understand, I, could just, I knew the Lord was moving, and I was watching. And she'd come out, and she'd do things or say things, and it was like, poop. Spirit of God, it was just really, really strange. So, as I said, some will hear certain things, some will not. Of all the people that were in the court of Pharaoh, I wonder if some of them, or any of them, 
heard the signs. Maybe because of the power and the influence uh, and the hardness of Pharaoh, you know, they would laugh and scoff at Moses like probably he did and they went along with that. But I wonder if something said or done at a point gets through to them. Now, they never, you never see anything in the Bible related to anyone from Egypt coming to the Lord um, at this time. You don't see it. I mean, I, I don't know. But nevertheless, later on, when they go through the nine signs, when they come to the tenth, it's overwhelming because it, not, it just doesn't touch, uh, touch them to a small degree, you know, frogs in your house and, you know, all these things they had to deal with. Um, but now it touches every single family that has children. Now they're hearing the sign. So with, with some people, they can hear a lot of things and never believe that it's God or never actually even hear at all. It's amazing how dull of hearing people can be. You know, in the world, of course, yes. But even with some Christians, sometimes I think that we need to be removed from our environment for a smidge so we can start to see things. Okay, let's look at verse 10. <clears throat> Then Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So he's going to be used by the Lord in order to, with Moses here, in order for the manifestation of the supernatural to occur. Obedience must take part in the life of Moses. He has to be obedient to the Lord in these things, or there will be no supernatural that we're going to see. So that's the first order of business. The natural reasoning must be set aside. I mean, who would think that a rod could be turned into a serpent? Not me. But I believe if we were there, we would believe when we see it. So the natural reasoning can interfere with what the Lord wants to do. But nevertheless, in order for, for this to continue on, he must be obedient. So this is really something because if Moses is not obedient, there is no deliverance of the children of Israel out of Egypt. They're there. So... One man's obedience brings about the deliverance of an entire nation. And they, they believe in the wilderness there was probably a million or two people, a million to two million uh, people out there. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people, like two million people. I mean, I don't even know how you project your voice for everybody to hear. Maybe they project the voice and then somebody takes it and Relate. I don't know. I mean, how do you do that thing? You can't call them on a cell phone. You can't use a megaphone. They can't hear, you know. But, you know, the Lord's going to, to use him because 
he's taking the first step in obedience. Verse 11. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and will teach you what you should say. So Moses is not going to go and wing it. He's not going to go and wing it. You know that. Well, I'll just show up to class. I'm not going to study, and I'm going to wing it. Off the cuff. There we go. That's okay. Sometimes that's good. But Moses isn't going like that. He is going to be taught by the Lord what to do, what to say. So when he goes, he's not winging it. He's going to say what the Lord has said and what he's taught him. So being taught is good. I, I, I often wonder sometimes when the Lord says all these things, does he remember, do people remember all this or do they write it down? If it was me, I'd have to sit there. Unless a supernatural Lord would you know, do something with my memory, I'd have to sit okay, okay, you want me to say this? Okay. But just, it doesn't say just one thing sometimes. It's like it's a long, big, long thing. I don't mean in this instance with Moses, but with some of them. Verse 13. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send by the hand of whoever else you may send. In other words, Please send somebody else to do. I don't want to speak. I don't want to go in there. Whoever you're going to send, you know, please send them. So Moses has a problem. He doesn't want to do it. He doesn't think he's qualified. He doesn't think he can do it. He, he can't speak and so on. So verse 14. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Why? Because he's going back and forth with the Lord and saying that he, you know, he can't, he can't, he can't. I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't do this, I can't do that. And the Lord wants a person who knows they can't do it, but yet depends upon the Lord to do it. To, to do it through them. Or to enable them somehow to be able to do it. The Lord knew the limitations of Moses. Moses knows the limitations of Moses. But Moses doesn't know that with God, all things are possible, and he can overcome the limitation. And even though he can take a person, and the person can be rough around the edges, so to speak, as far as speaking or whatever, the Lord can still, you know, use a vessel that doesn't matter. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. The Lord kind of says, okay, um, I see you don't want to go. You're, you're having this real, real big issue. So we'll just go another route with you. And I believe that the route that he goes with Moses, as far as Moses is concerned, his, his, he, he missed something here. He missed the enabling of God in his life 
uh, for this particular you know, thing uh, to, to go in and speak. Rather than using Aaron, God wanted to use Moses. And if the Lord can appear to him in a bush that does not burn, he can surely cause uh, his speech to be what it needs to be to, to speak to Pharaoh. So I believe that, that Moses, in some degree, you know, lost here. He, he, he lost. His, um, God's choice was to use the, the lesser gifted who would depend upon him than the more gifted who wouldn't. Not that Aaron wasn't, wouldn't do it, but I'm just saying he's, he's not interested in a person's tremendous gift to do it through their own abilities. Now, I, I, I believe that, that being an orator and speaking well is good if a person is, is so blessed. There's nothing wrong with that. But the Lord is interested, I really believe, in the lesser gifted in making them able and gifted to do something. And I've said this before, that you know, the Lord is, is looking for those who are willing so the Lord may pass up three people to be a pastor and stop with another person that's willing, may not be as gifted in speaking, may not be as gifted with people or counseling or all that stuff. But, but because of various reasons, they don't um, respond, they don't qualify, here goes to someone else. Um, and and I, I've felt that way for me personally that there were other people in the church years ago that were much more qualified in teaching and speaking. The, the one individual that I met very early on was a brilliant. I mean, he was extremely intelligent. I had a lot of respect for him because I mean, he could read and he could see things that, that I, I, I read I couldn't see. And he could teach. Uh, he would go into the Greek and he could see things and the Lord would show him some really good things. And, and the Lord used him being a very intelligent man. And I'll tell you a little story related to him. And he uh, graduated Bible school, not this Bible school, another one, and <clears throat> pastored a church. I don't know where it was, but it was right near a college campus, and the Lord uh, was because he was very, very gifted with um, apologetics. Uh, we know what apologetics are. He was very gifted in um, disputing the scriptures like Paul did with people. And he would do it with, a, with a, uh, college kids on campus. He'd go up there and he'd, you know, and was having success in le leading some of, them, some of them to the Lord. But because he was spending some of his time there, the church didn't like it. So they, I believe they rose up against him and threw him out. And that was such a jolt to him uh, that he, I, I don't know for sure, but I heard he went and became an attorney. I don't know. But, you know, people can be pretty, being gifted like he was is not bad. It's a good thing. Being educated is not bad. It's a good thing. The Lord used it. But because a person doesn't have 
an extremely high IQ, or because a person is not gifted in uh, speaking as an orator or whatever, does not mean that disqualifies them. Moses was called to go and speak. God acquiesced to his constant, you know, going on about he can't do it, and then turns to Aaron and gets Aaron involved. But I believe the best would have been for Moses to, you know, go ahead and do it. Now, I'm not criticizing Moses, Lord forbid. <laughs> I mean, he's way, way up here. Nevertheless, the Lord wants to take someone who doesn't have it and give it to him. They just don't have it. And the Lord can just take that person and, and teach them and open their eyes. And it's just amazing what God can do. But there's a cost involved in the whole thing. And many times the problem is that people don't want to pay the price. And, you know, faith is a word that people want to use, Christians want to use. But sometimes one of the things they don't have in certain instances is faith in God because of the call or, or that what, what it may be before them to do. Verse uh, 15, Now you shall speak to him, meaning Aaron, and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokes, spokesman to the people, and he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God. So I don't believe this was the best. The Lord wanted to teach him. He says, he uses the word teacher. That means to instruct what he shall do, what he shall say. And nevertheless, the Lord says, okay, that's all right. We'll, just, we'll do it this way. So the Lord sometimes, do you know the Lord changes his mind sometimes? You see that even in the Bible. You know, many are called, but few are chosen. Few become choice. And so, those that are called sometimes even respond to the call to some degree or for a period of time. And then they never follow through. And they end up dying in the wilderness, really. They're called by God but yet they die in the wilderness. So there, there's never a fulfillment of what the Lord wanted in the particular life. And that won't be seen until later. I believe it could be seen now, but I'm just saying it will be expressly seen later. So all the people, all their workings, going here, going there, all the things we do during the day, and you know, all the, the normal routine of things, uh, you know, the Christians called. And they may not even be aware of what the call means. And they may not be aware of what the call will bring them to. But all they know is something happened inside of me and the Lord is bringing me along, I don't know where. Well, that's okay. The, the, the main thing is that no matter what you're doing, you know, be it in your job or whatever, 
You, you walk with the Lord. You stay close to him. Because not everyone's called to teach. Not everyone's called to preach and to pastor. It's just not the way it is. We know that. How many, how many people we have in the church? How many are called to be the pastor? One. So that should tell you something. So, you know, you may be called now for later. You may go into ministry later. Or you may not. So it's, it just depends. But because a person is not called into what we consider the ministry, does not mean that there's not a call on their life. If you've come to Bible school, you've come because I hope you've been called. So, you know, the Lord puts something in you, and you say, you know, I think I'm going to go to Bible school. Or I think I'm going to go to this class or that class. You know, well, well, that's good. So you do that for a period of time. And then the Lord will lead you on into something else. You, know, you might be involved going on the mission field. Who knows? You, you, you know, maybe you'll be teaching some group Bible study somewhere. Uh, maybe the Lord will be using you in something else. So don't limit the Lord when you look at Jeremiah being called, sent to Israel. You see Ezekiel. You see Moses. You see all these people. You know, there, there's two million people or a million people, God selecting a few. So wherever it is that you are, you know, that's where you are to be with the Lord, allowing him to work in your life. Because the ministry is not what's important. What is important is the work of the Lord in you. So even though Moses is going to be, so to, so to speak, in the ministry, going into Pharaoh, going out uh, and pastoring the people in the wilderness, still that whole thing is not the picture. The, the, the picture is to be, to be seen is that the Lord is working on him in the inside. The, word, the, word, the Lord will work on the minister in the work. See, it's not just the work, you know, the work that's being done, but it's the work of the Spirit in the minister of God and the work of the Spirit in you and I all the time. And it doesn't matter where you are. You know the Lord can work in your life at work? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. He said, you know what? This guy needs a little welding right here. <laughs> Weld a little patch right there. Well, he can do it. He, and he'll inspect it, too, by the way. He's the best welding inspector. <laughs> so, you know, he, he's able to, to work in our lives. And, you know, we talk about this all the time. And it's important. Because you know what you what you will become, you will become mainly by your response to the Lord, and mainly I think it's going to be in your circumstances, where you work, what you're doing. Not you know not every single thing, but I mean there will be things that come up that will test you, will try you, will will show you how you act correctly and how you do not act correctly, how you think correctly toward maybe people or don't think correctly toward people. So, you know, all these things come up 
you know, many times in work, at work. And the Lord wants to cut, kind of cut the edges off of us, you know, smooth us off, you know, sand us down, you know, be, be the touchstone where he just gets all the rough edges off. And um, those things don't normally occur in the sanctuary when we're praising the Lord or whatever we're doing. That, 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 that's everybody's kind of like on the, in their best behavior sitting there with everybody, you know. You know, when you get home or you get to work, that's a different story. Now you're not in church. Now keep your eyes open. That's where you want to really keep your eyes open there too because you'll, you'll see things maybe about yourself or about others. And how are you re reacting to them? You know, what's going on? Um, see what's, what's happening in you because the Lord now wants to change that. And um, I'm speaking from experience because the last 10 years... I worked in the post office. The Lord was just, he had me in the vice, so to speak, with people. And uh, he wanted to, to do certain things in me. He was just fine-tuning certain things. Even the littlest attitude or even the littlest thing that I, I wanted to do or even did, the Lord would, would be right there on that thing. And um, it was a good time. I had a good time. It was a real good time. And I'm not saying that jokingly. It was. It was great. And, um, you know, I, I often think, even when I was going through some of the things, I said, you know what, Lord, of all the people in Pennsylvania, I have to work with this guy? And the Lord said, yes, you do. <laughs> not only do you have to work, like, with him, with him, okay, you only see him for, for an hour or two. I had to work with him eight hours, you know, right there around you. And, and so I learned a lot from that. And this guy was the, the most difficult person to deal with, really. It was, his wife couldn't even deal with him. I, I watched this like it was crazy. <laughs> but, I mean, still in it all, I still tried to be nice to him, be good to him, you know, uh, not be like most of the people, you know, antagonistic toward him or not speak to him or hate him, you know, or... Whatever, you know, a lot of people did different things. But I, I always tried to keep a clear, pure heart, you know, toward him. And I will admit there were some times when it wasn't easy. It wasn't because of this guy. It was just you'd have to work with somebody. You would believe some of the things he would do. You see human nature, I don't want to say at it's worst because there's a lot of worse things that people do in the world. But I mean as far as... The work environment, you can see human nature at its worst. I mean, I mean it's like some of these people are just like, it's different if somebody is a customer that comes in and, you know, they get, you know, get crazy and stuff. But when you have to work with the person all the time, that's, a, that's an opportunity for us. And I believe the Lord will take us in and out of things like that uh, throughout our, our years to try to smooth things off of us, to get things out of there that, that we would normally act a certain way toward them. You know, get, get away from me, get out of my face, I don't want to see you, just, just stay away from me. You know, you're a jerk, and you know, whatever else you would say. And, and you may be justified in doing that because of the way the individual acts. But who can be the hand of the Lord? You know, you can this individual told me that their father 
became a Christian before he died and prayed for him. And I, I tried saying some things to him. He would not, he didn't want to hear it. So I knew that. So the best thing I did, I felt to do, was just be nice to him, be kind to him. You know? Because he wasn't seeing much of that. And I had the opportunity. Sometimes you don't have an opportunity to be nice to people because they're working there or they go out or whatever they do, and you don't see them or you're not around them enough. But I was around them all the time. And it was an opportunity. I knew it was an opportunity. I knew what the Lord was doing. And it was nice to see how the Lord's working. I, I could see it as clear as day, even when it first started. Five years before that with another, another person I worked with. I, I saw the hand of God in it. And then when, when he left, I said, boy, am I glad he's gone. That's what I said. So another guy, I said, well, I'm glad he's gone. I hate to say it, but I'm glad he's gone. And I thought, well, I was home free. And this guy came in, and he was twice as bad. So you don't never know. I said, oh, here we go again. And I knew what the Lord was doing. And I wasn't going to be in that environment for much longer. And the Lord wanted to glean as much as possible in my life through that. And so we're going to have opportunities. And the Lord wants to work in your life through that. So Moses is in the middle of some circumstances here, you know. And he's going to have opportunity. And he's going to make the best of it for the most part. Verse 17. And you shall take this rod in your hand with which you shall do the sign. So Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. Now here's this account here, and I don't know if we're going to be able to... I guess we'll just go as far as we can. Verse 19. Now the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go return to Egypt, for all the men who sought your life are dead. When Moses took his then Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand. But I will harden his heart, so that he will not let the people go. Does the Lord... Harden people's hearts. Huh? <laughs> you would say and you would think, well, you know, that's not something the Lord would do. And I've thought about this. Uh, and I don't believe that the Lord is in the hardening business, if you would if you understand. Because you see in Mark 4, where Jesus says, uh, about the sower. The sower goes out and sows the seed. And some fall on all these different soil types. And then he says that some fell on the good ground. Now that's what the Lord's after. That produced 30, 60, and 100 fold. So the Lord is interested in good seed. And then in, what prophet is it? Not Habakkuk. Um, I can't remember the prophet or where, where he says that, that to break up the follow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord. Do you know what follow ground is? 
fallow ground is freshly plowed soil. And whenever they would plow the soil, and they would put the plow in, it would, you know, ripple or part the soil, and they would continue on. They used to do it with a horse and a plow, and you would have all these big clods of dirt. So it says, break up the fallow ground. The fallow ground is freshly plowed soil, and what you would have to do is go and break up the clods of dirt. So once you break up the clods of dirt, and you do this in your garden if you don't use a road till, right? Once in a while, I turn the dirt over with my uh, shovel, and then you have a clod of dirt, and you bang it with a shovel to smooth it out. Now you have soil that is all broken up and soft and ready for planting. So the prophet says, break up the fallow ground. So there, there, there must have been a plowing in the life of people. And now the Lord is saying, break up those clods of dirt because it's time to seek the Lord. In other words, there's going to be a planting. So the Lord is interested in soft soil and he works in a way he wants the soil of our hearts to be soft. You agree with that? It's, it's very simple. Pharaoh has a hard heart. No doubt about it. And God sending Moses in to tell Pharaoh to let the people go. Pharaoh is not ever, ever, he probably never had anyone tell him what to do because he's number one. He's the Pharaoh, and people don't tell him what to do. You tell him what to do, you're dead. So he's not used to this. The Lord is going to send Moses in, and Moses is going to perform miracles in front of Pharaoh for the purpose to draw the people out of Egypt, out to the wilderness to sacrifice, not to the gods of Pharaoh, of Egypt, but to the gods, the God of Israel. A completely different thing. They have no idea what that even means, but they don't want it to happen. And so God hardens Pharaoh's heart through the miracles that he does to have the people released. God goes in through Moses, and the very words he speaks to Pharaoh are going to be what hardens Pharaoh's heart. Now, God doesn't want Pharaoh's heart to be hardened, you understand? He doesn't want people in the world to be hardened. He wants them to come to the Lord and to be saved. But with some people, you know, they hear the gospel and it makes them mad. They don't want anything to do with God, Jesus, the Bible, Christianity, the gospel, any preaching. They don't want anything to do with it. And the more they hear any of that, the worse they get, the harder their hearts get. And Moses goes in, and the very message to Pharaoh, which should hopefully the signs soften his heart so that he lets the people go, that very, very message in the signs are what's going to harden Pharaoh's heart. So, in effect, God is going to harden his heart. 
because he knows it's going to happen. You understand? He knows that he's going to hard, he's not going to let the people go. He even says that. He says, you do this sign, and then you do this sign. If he doesn't you know, let you go, you do this sign. But he knows he's not going to let you go even with a strong, it's going to, it's going to take a strong hand or something like this. He says something like that in chapter 4. It's going to take a strong hand. And so it's not that God wanted his heart hard. It's that the Lord is going to minister and preach the gospel, so to speak. He's going to do what God does. And if the people don't like it, the world doesn't like it, I'm sorry about that, but you know we're, we're, we're moving forward here. And the very message and the very signs that were to bring the people out is going to be what hardens uh, Pharaoh's heart. 